0: Created live on Fireside. Welcome to Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe on the Fireside platform. Thank you very much for being here. This is our once a week glimpse into current issues in higher education here in the United States. And, uh, I want to welcome all of you. If you're new to the show, please uh, settle on in. We're going to give you a little orientation in just a minute. But first, here are some news stories that we are looking at today. Uh, Casanova College, a small nonprofit institution in upstate New York, defaulted on $25 million in bond payments last month, throwing the question of its financial instability The money was due September 1st, but a recent independent audit of the college noted that it lacked sufficient liquid resources to pay it. The college was unable to obtain new financing even after the payment date was extended by a month. The private college now has, until November 3rd, to come to an agreement with bondholders. The institution initially borrowed $25 million to refinance existing debt. And improve campus facilities in an effort in an interest to counteract faltering enrollment. Uh, The dollar for students to attend is $54,000 right now. And what we see from their, uh, what they're actually bringing in in terms of their discount rate is $18,000 a student. So uh, this is very relevant to some of what we've been speaking about in terms of uh, tuition resets and what's going to be continuing to happen. Uh, there's according to higher education dive, broad racial and ethnic categories don't cut it for colleges. According to the common app data, federal categories of racial and ethnic groups, which lump students together within large groups, wind up concealing wide variations within those groups. According to a new analysis from the common app, a nonprofit that allows prospective students to apply to more than 1000 member colleges using one application. Common App examined data from domestic first year applicants to its member colleges between the 2013 14 and the 2021 2022 academic year to understand nuanced shifts in racial and ethnic groups over time. For instance, while Asian applicants have increased 71% over that period of time, a deeper look at the data shows us that students from Sri Lanka, Nepalese, and Bangladeshi backgrounds have grown more than twice as quickly as those in the overall group. For instance, those from Japanese backgrounds, on the other hand, have declined by 4%. Uh, To the group, without more detailed data, colleges could miss out on having an accurate understanding of the student bodies that could inform admissions practices and student support services. This, along with upcoming uh, Supreme Court decisions, uh, may be very interesting to watch. And then finally, uh, over the last few days, uh, the Biden administration officially launched the application for federal student loan forgiveness. Um. The beta version came out over the weekend with 8 million people applying over the weekend. Uh, And yesterday, Monday, uh, the full-scale application was out. Uh, A few things that we want to keep in mind for our students, our alums, and people who are using it, that what we know right now is that the scammers are out. So five big red flags for forgiveness scams. Uh, First and foremost, please, please, please make sure your students and your alums are using studentaid.gov forward slash debt relief. That is the only website that should be used. Don't use any other sites. Um, There's no fee to apply. If you're being asked to put in a fee, that is a scam. Um, If it's asking you to upload anything, that is a scam. Do not upload anything. Email updates coming from odd addresses. Make sure you're checking those addresses. Make sure they're actually the department of education and such. And, uh, that, uh, big scam out there that always comes up, we see it every day, promises to help you qualify for a fee. There are no fees involved. So make sure, again, you are sending your students and your alums to studentaid.gov forward slash debt relief. It is a free application and you do not need to upload any financial documents. So again, welcome to Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. We are here almost every week on the, On the uh, excuse me, the uh, Fireside platform uh, and we do replay here at uh, Fireside as well as on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio Podcasts and on Spotify. So please keep us in mind and keep following. So what you can do to help us promote the show right now is if you go, if you're right here in, uh, in the show and I see some people in our audience, what you do is you go down to the uh, hamburger menu in the lower right hand corner. You're going to click on that you're going to click on Broadcast to the World. That's going to take you to an opportunity to copy and paste it into one of your, uh, your social media platforms, whether it be Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever the case may be. Love to have you share the show. You can also participate using the Q&A button. You can actually click there and you can uh, post a question. And if you want to come on up on stage and ask a follow up question, you are allowed to do so. So just request that. Um, And then finally, we have our react buttons down at the bottom of the screen. And so if Parker says something super funny, you can like Taco Bell's
1: the best fast food.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You can actually laugh at his jokes. So that would be very fun. So there you go. So I am thrilled to be here today with one of my favorite graduate students, one of my former favorite graduate students. Uh, And today we are going to focus on something what I like to call uh, the House of DeVoe. Uh, I have hundreds of past graduate students and thousands of past students who have been part of my life. And uh, every so often I like to bring people here to discuss what's going on in their lives. What have they learned about uh, life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness? And I like to ask them specifically, my former graduate students, what could we have done better to prepare them? So K. Parker Hess, hello. Welcome to Fireside.
1: Happy to be here on a Tuesday (laughs) afternoon, right? Right. Happy fall.
0: Happy fall. And Parker, (laughs) you join us from, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us where you are right now.
1: Yeah, I am five months deep into my new role as the Assistant Director of Student Organizations and Activities, um, SOA, so it were, at Northwestern University, so it's been fun so far. (laughs)
0: Great, and we're happy to have you here, and Parker was one of my students at Boston University in the graduate program there, and you graduated in 2019, is that right? Correct, Okay, see, right off the top of my head, there you go, and so... uh, you know, it was, uh, it's always great to have students come back and um, either be on the show or talk to me uh, in person or by LinkedIn or whatever it might be, uh, because what it does is it lets me understand a lot better about what is happening in their lives and what we can do uh, in a more intentional way to prepare them for for their careers. And today I told Parker I wanted to talk a bit about you know what he's experienced as a relatively young professional. You're still c- considered young professional. You've been in the in the field, you know, not for 10 years yet, and so you're still kind of figuring it out, so to speak. I Want to talk a bit about what that transition was like from uh, graduate school to your first job? Um, this isn't a time to spill tea. This is really more time about being reflective and give us some insight in terms of what we again could do better. Um, and where it, when it became clear to you that it was time for you to kind of find new opportunities and new, new things. And I really want to know from Parker, you know, what we could do better to prepare people because we hear from some faculty Um, is that there are certain aspects of preparation that they want to focus on, while uh, what we hear from employers and even from graduates, there are areas that we miss out on in terms of the preparation. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. But first, I want to talk about your handle that people see on the screen here. And so if you're listening to this later and you don't see the visual, Uh, Here on the Fireside platform, if you want to follow Parker, uh, if you join Fireside, you can actually do so um, and connect with him. But his handle is Parky Taco. I need more information. Actually, I know where this comes from, but let the world know. Let the world know (laughs) about this because we need to get into this first
1: and then we'll get on to the
0: more more pressing issues of the day.
1: Yes. So Party Taco has long been my brand since arguably 2015. Um, I grew, I was living in a house that was two houses up from the local Taco Bell. So undergraduate is at Southern Utah, shout out to Cedar City, right? And so I went there, what, three, four times minimum a week. Um, And one day a friend was taking me there before an event. She's like, you're like Parky Taco. (laughs) And I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. Um, So I finally got my first official nickname ever and loved that. And then actually have used that to kind of build up my identity a bit of myself professionally. I have this weird sometimes It's hypocritical but like this rebellion against professionalism so I will talk about how I'm Parky Taco in interviews I will introduce myself to new staff as such people are are you like are you Kay Parker are you Kay are you Parker and I go any which way I'll throw in Parky Taco if we ever get Taco Bell together but the 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 moment here with the Parky Taco that it captures is that people come together around food a lot Mm. so on my Mm. hardest days I will I need to feel a little good like I will definitely lean on food if I've gone to the gym I've done the other healthful things but like Taco Bell is where I go to feel a lot of joy especially that Baja Blast um and on my really good days when it's like hey let's celebrate this win let's go to Taco Bell let's cater in some Taco Bell right so Taco Bell is like where I I, I come together to center myself with people that I love being with with food and drink that I also doth enjoy um yeah. so I really lean into that as like to build connections with people
0: so you know, the question, you brought up the Baja Blast. What What is that?
1: Mm. A Baja Blast is an exclusive flavor of Mountain Dew, only sold at Taco Bell, except over the summer, they do limited release in bottles and cans in select grocery stores. Um, it is delicious. <laughs> um, and if you could pour one out on my grave when I die, that'd be <laughs> great. Stop. Kara, <Okay. laughs> oh, Sorry.
0: No, that's, but that's a little morbid, but, uh, but I will say this is that you have taught me a lot about Taco Bell. I always Mm -hmm. like to learn things from my students. And so you have taught me a lot about Taco Bell. And the sad part was when you were a student at BU at Boston University, there was no Taco Bell on campus, but up until probably four years before you arrived, there was a Taco Bell right there in the heart of campus. How did that make you feel? Do you feel like Boston university kind of turned its back on you at the time?
1: Um, no, I would love, well, maybe I was better at first. I'm always a little better at first, but then I'm like, good for them because now when I come back and visit, which I did last summer, I was able to stop by this Taco Bell cantina on Com and delect into the Taco <laughs> Bell instead of Ubering to Cambridge to get Taco Bell to then come back so there's
0: now a taco bell so for 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 people keeping up there was a taco bell then as if taco bell knew that parker was enrolling at bu they left the campus and then a couple years after parker graduated in came the taco bell cantina which is a, a taco bell that serves alcohol right and it was as if they were thumbing their nose
1: at at Parker. It felt like it. It's kind of rude.
0: Yeah. However,
1: the universe did make up for it because my first job, which was at the University of Notre Dame, has a Taco Bell in the basement of the student center in which I worked. So okay. the universe was like, sorry about that, but here's a gift. But you can have you it go. right here's where you gift. work. There yep. you go.
0: So there you go. And And mm-hmm. I think the most important question I have is, is, Do you get your cholesterol checked on a regular basis?
1: I follow my regular health screenings with my doctor.
0: (laughs) Okay. The answer is no. The answer is no. Okay. Uh, So, all right. So let's let's. This is a good transition. So you left Boston University. You took my wonderful class. You had me for strategic planning, I believe. And then you, and then you had your first job. And you went into the activities, student activities, and you had other opportunities. You interviewed, as I recall, several places. And you went into a place where people know the school. Okay. There is not a person in this country who doesn't know University of Notre Dame. Okay. Let me ask you this question. When you got a job at a place that everybody, it's basically everyone knows the name of it. People who never attended or fans of the place they watch the games on the weekends etc cetera, etc cetera. did that change people's understanding like your family people your friends people who know you about what you do who may not have been tuned in did they have a new appreciation of what you did because you went to a place that was so visible and
1: name recognition Yes and no. Because okay. the funny part is that everyone knows the name. Nobody knows where that school is at. Yeah. Like, nobody knows that, like, or thinks that the University of Notre Dame is in South Bend, Indiana. And to be honest, when I found that out, I was like, oh, that's where this school's at? So even I learned. What I found very fascinating, and I had this conversation with a couple other colleagues. It's, um, so, like, I work at Notre Dame, and, like, Highly competitive job, yeah, absolutely. But when I got in, my family treated it as like I got accepted into Notre Dame, and like they're like, "Oh my gosh, it's so impressive! What did you have to do?" And I was like, "Interview." Like I didn't need straight A's for this job. Right. right. Um, And they were like, "Oh, so oh yeah." And so what's really weird is when I was, and we'll get to it later. Like moving for another job, my my older sister very much was like, "Well, what's going to be higher level than Notre Dame?" And I was like, ah it's not how this world works. Like there's yeah. like Notre Dame, like might have like a lot of great accolades for being, getting a degree, but in terms of jobs, like, it's just a great job. Mm-hmm. But like, it's like, you don't really go up or go down. You just find more of what your niche is and what kind of school you want to work for. Um So that kind of, they, a lot of the family was like, Oh, so it's not okay. So it became, I don't know. They, weren't disappointed but they were like okay so it's not as cool as like getting accepted full ride scholarship being the quarterback of the Notre Dame football team you're like no like it's a full-time job actually
0: exactly it's a nine-to-fiver if not more because you were doing student activities during a pandemic but we can talk about that potentially later we don't have to talk too much about the pandemic because we're kind of pandemic doubt but um but now you you went in and I think one of the things I told you I really wanted us to talk about is like how prepared did you feel and what were some of the things that, you know, we would benefit from in terms of understanding some of the difficulties that uh, maybe new professionals might have, especially you left Boston. You had a lot of friends who stayed in Boston. You had friends who went to other parts of the country. Did you, were you the only person from, you know, kind of your cohort that went to the Midwest? And with that, did that come with a little bit of isolation? How did that feel?
1: Um, not so much because I'm used to like, I moved from Utah to Boston with no friends, which, so I was mm-hmm. kind of used to that. And in fact, I When you say turned no down...
0: friends, that makes it sound super oh. depressing. And
1: I know that's not what you <laughs> It was more like- <laughs> independent right there like go. let's go, go. Well, I I'm moved independent to, like, <laughs> new canvas right like that's where <laughs> Kate Parker was born it was great um and then I made a ton of friends while I was there um and so what was interesting is I moved to Chicago with no job in with old friends because I turned down a job and then I was turned away from another job which was sad I was so oh And I remember your advice of like, you could do anything for one year. And I, you're right, I could have, but I would have been more miserable, I think. (laughs) But, uh, but then Jack was also in Tennessee and never came, or Kentucky and never came and saw me. So I'm a little bitter about that one. Okay. All right. Um, So you had somebody who was close by who never came. okay six hours away is close by i guess but (laughs) i digress yes yeah i moved from chicago to notre Dame again not knowing anybody so another clean slate uh and in terms of preparation i guess like i after the first job i really never considered location bound like when i was Mm -hmm. looking at jobs i it like people ask like what are like what locations are you looking for? And I think it goes beyond just like what region of the country do you want to be in? Like, what do you want to be in a city? Do you want to be in like a a rural area? Do you want to be commuting? Do you not want to be commuting? Do you want to? And so like all of those questions I had never considered because near the end of summer 2019, that point I was just desperate for a job. So I think I sacrificed a few things I may not have initially, which would have been like, I moved to an area which was far away from big cities and Mm -hmm. I know myself to be a big city guy. And so I didn't know what kind of like toll that would take on me, not super mentally, but socially. Cause what ended up happening towards the end is like, I was really good friends with my coworkers, but like my coworkers were also my friends. And to go see my actual life, like no work affiliation friends, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. it's a two hour drive away, which was not super ideal. The other part that I felt like I wasn't super, I wanted to change how we do it Mm -hmm. is talking about negotiations for jobs Ah, Um, and. So happening twice in a row and and giving the advice given to me, it's like, oh, they're going to give you a set amount and you push back or ask for X, Y, and Z things, which I always do. But most shops to hear about like how are offering their max. So when I got to Notre Dame and I'm happy to talk salaries, like I don't hide mm-hmm. it. So they, the salary range was like 35 to 40, 40 mm-hmm. would be their max. Well, when I got the job offer, they offered me the 40 and then mm-hmm. I did the traditional ask for a bit more and so I did, but they were like, oh, like, mm-hmm. we really don't know like but at the time they're like, here's the moving package, here's the start date is that flexible here's what your hours start off here's like all they gave me the whole thing that I would have asked for upfront so it felt really weird to be like, I want more, which is never bad. They couldn't stuck with the 40 got the moving package it was brilliant. Then when I got here to Northwestern, when I got that job offer, they were like, we're starting off a lot of our folks who are coming in new at the 58 three mark," And I was like, well, F, like, I can't really ask for more if they're trying to be equitable and they already raised right. the salary stuff that happened pre me knowing. So I learned a lot of this after the fact, like the salary range is actually lower than what they right. were. Uh, they offered because they had just recently got it bumped up. They had done an
0: institutional adjustment. So people had all gotten some kind of bump, which is a very (laughs) typical higher ed thing to do. We don't go position by position. We may go office by office or grade by grade and Mm -hmm. move people around from an equity. I'm working with, uh, you know, some folks right now who are, who had just gone through that and made big adjustments and people were like, what, you know, like, but that was because it decades had passed since other yes. adjustments had been made. So it's kind of, it kind of blows your mind a bit, you know, when you see that on paper, but go ahead.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like I, and so when I have like students that I write re- letter recommendations for, or like I'm a reference call later this afternoon for another student, um, I like, and they're always trying to talk about what should I, like how much should I ask for? What's the cost? And I, no longer like talk about like being like, yeah, ask for more. Like if they're in a salary range and you know the salary range and they're offering you mid tier, like, cool, I can work within it. But a lot of institutions don't provide the range. They don't sometimes often provide even the salary amount until like you're at that final step. And you net- at that point, you don't know if you have wasted their time or not. And so, I think we should also intersect here. Like, there's a lot of emotions when getting an offer and then figuring out what to do with the offer from the employer who's like really excited they found their candidate. So, they're excited, but the risk of disappointment is up there or like having to navigate advocating for the potential employee. And then, even for the candidate who's receiving the offer, they're really excited. They feel a lot of worth, but then they have to now go measure that worth of like, is the salary enough? And then, doing an assessment of can I live in this area? We need Mm -hmm. to talk about how to do, this is a real life adult skill, like cost of living assessments, like should be a practice in professional development courses of like, here, like do assessment of where you're now in grad school, and then compare that to pick a place, pick a job, and then do a whole assessment there. Let's see if we can figure out taxes. Let's figure out if we can figure out what a a, a merit increase looks like. That would have been super helpful to know going into it to measure, because I moved to it. Do you oh, think
0: that, that, the, that it's the the institution or do you think that maybe there's an opportunity here for, um, rather than maybe the graduate program to do it, is more like a NASPA or ACPA affiliated with the placement exchange to say, here's a workshop or here's something we're going to offer you, not necessarily at the conference or, or and, I, and we're going to talk a little bit about placement in a bit because you've done both online and in person mm-hmm. um, and what that looked like, but I know they're trying to make that program more robust. So for folks who aren't sure what we're talking about, there's something called the placement exchange. It's an opportunity for people to not only uh, search for jobs, so candidates to search for jobs at every level. They've tried very much to span it out from the entry level to mid-level to senior level. That's another show in terms of discussing how, how effective they've been, especially at the mid and senior. But that being said, a lot, many, 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 many entry level folks go through this process um, for at least their first couple jobs. Okay, and it is basically a giant, you know, interview process. It's like in in a in a in an in person world. Literally, when I've been an employer posting a job, and they're like, okay, here's your packet. Now you go to table number 5,295 and I'm like, good Lord. And you're walking like for days to get to your damn table. It's like as far as the eye can see in a convention hall, right? But there's thousands of people that come through and the number of interviews that happen in this open space, it, it really just blows your mind if you actually see it in person but it I it's so yeah, wild. It's wild. I mean, it is It it, it is people. I have literally had people show up when we were in, I can't remember where the conference was. Oh, it was in Philly. We were in Philly and I had a friend from uh college meet me and we were just grabbing lunch and I was leaving the placement and she goes, let me, what are you doing in here? And I said, Oh, let me show you around. And she's, she, she works in healthcare and she's walking around going, This is how you hire people. This is insane, okay? because it's literally this cattle call of humanity. Right. And I think what my question was about your really good point about not just negotiation, because I've heard this before. It's like negotiate, negotiate. I'm like, higher ed, you don't have that much wiggle room to negotiate. The institutions don't have that much. And if they actually do tell you the range, just like you said, that's it. That's the range. They can't just necessarily go out of the range. But what we don't talk about, which you bring up, is super important. So well done, Parker, is that idea of where, how much does it cost to live in this place? Couple that with what you were just saying earlier about when you kind of had this moment while you were in South Bend saying, I like my colleagues. I like my job. I, my life isn't what my life should be right now. I need life and knowing that you're a more urban person while South Bend is a city, it is a small city. It has a limited kind of, uh, environment for people, uh, young people, social lives, all that kind of stuff. You, you wanted something more, you wanted something a bit richer in terms of like opportunities, something more robust. And when you now you have to factor in how much does that cost? Like I remember one of my first jobs out of graduate school was at Indiana university of Pennsylvania in Indiana, Pennsylvania. And where I said to you, you can do anything for a year or two. That was my experience there. It's like I was there for just under two years and I was happy to get back to Boston where things were a bit better in terms of my social life. But I banked money out there. They paid well for the time I had like my cost of living was nothing. Okay. Most expensive thing that I had to pay for there was gas, but that was, you know, everyone has to pay for gas and it's about the same across, you know, at the time across the country and that, that that's that, but a coffee in Indiana, Pennsylvania at the local coffee shop was a dollar. Whereas in Boston, even at that time was $2, $3, you know, so you're like, okay, what's going on here? So your point is super important. And I wonder, does it make sense for something like the placement exchange to say some things you have to keep in mind? It's not just about salary. It's about cost of living. It's about what is an urban, rural, or suburban experience look like your point about your whole social life being your coworkers. That's another issue. So whose responsibility is this? Is it a mentor's responsibility? Is it the institution's responsibility? Is it placement exchange? What do you think?
1: I think it is, we have a responsibility to to share like, hey, things to consider and then maybe have a resource or two of like a link of like, come to this website to measure your cost of living but I think it's on us to scratch each other's backs as like mentors to mentees to like, Mm -hmm. have you considered this? And not for me to go to my students, like I'm going to do it for you. Give me your info. It's hi, have you done this? Here's the website that you can do this. I want you to measure that out. My supervisor or former supervisor, Aaron Reardon, university of Notre Dame. She's awesome. I'll just shout that out. Uh, When we, I went through, god 12 interviews from last may to this this previous may this whole year and through each job like she we would have all of these robust conversations and at one point it was probably around november she was like i see you in like three circles like and one of you like that you are ranking in priority and like you haven't vocalized it but your social life your romantic life that is a priority for you for mm-hmm. sure so like you want extra money to go into being able to go out and do fun things to go on the dates to escape when you need to. And like, yeah, I was living comfortably in South Bend. My priority when I moved to South Bend was like where I lived specifically, like how close to campus. So I lived on an expensive apartment right next to campus where more percentage of my paycheck went to that apartment than should have. But my priority at the time was like, I want convenience to get to campus. Mm -hmm. And so I just have to bat like, so then I loved that my boss was always like, what's your priority? Is it your professional? Like, are you worried about the name title that's with your next job? Are you more worried about how much salary you have? Is it your social life? Do you want a demanding job? Cause I applied for Res life and she goes, I love you. But I think because of how much you want to be social Res life might not fit into your purview. Like mm-hmm. and like base and we more detailed conversations of like, you just don't think it fits your life. So you would, that would actually make you happy. Right. So it, it's prioritizing those and figuring out here's the salary that's being presented. Does that support the life I'm wanting to live or working me towards where I want to live? Right. Right.
0: Right. And, and so let's talk about, you know, when you were trying to kind of couple this idea of like, what is it that is going to make me happy personally versus what's going to make me happy professionally when you were kind of weighing that out, who did you pull from, from support? You were just talking about your former supervisor who was very um, understanding and supportive of your desire to find a new job. And and before I get to that, though, you had a very, very supportive supervisor. We've had this Mm -hmm. conversation. Some people don't have that. When did you know that she was going to be that kind of person? How did she kind of emanate that was it from the get-go did she you kind of feel like this person's going to be a little different than what maybe some of my friends or my previous experiences have been and and how was having a a supportive supervisor actually helpful for you in terms of the how you kind of gave of yourself to your job does that make sense
1: yeah i think when i first met erin and like went through the first couple weeks. I felt I was being guided. I I was her first full-time professional staff member she supervised. So she supervised graduate assistants and student staff before. But I was her first full time and she was my first full time. Like Jen Leal, who is the assistant director at BU, was like my supervisor. Like I was as a full time I was grad. So like this, like we're both nervous. So Aaron and I were both nervous, I think. And the moment that I knew that she was an excellent supervisor is I got really sick um, throughout that first fall. Like I was going to the doctor left and right. And one day I was in her office and I had kept a lot of it in. I was still showing up early trying to like, be like, I want this to be such a good first impression for at least my first six months. But like, I am so ill, so I'm trying my best. And she was like, hey, I just, I had my one-on-one with my director. I my director asked if you were okay because she just kind of noticed that you looked a little sick and I said I've known you've been sick but like I just her aside I, I reassured her that you were fine but like are you actually like I won't tell her if you don't want me to but are you actually and I remember crying in her office talking about how I was really sick and I came clean with like what illness i was facing and i was like i'm so sorry if it showed up at work in a bad way and she had this beautiful saying that came from our director Karen and it was uh it was like your personal life will affect your work because like you could separate them all they want but like if you are drained and sick in your personal life that's just you can't become a whole other person in your work life so they will impact each other i'm so sorry you're going through that what do you need and it was like the question of like what do you need? Which was like, oh my God, my boss actually super cares about me and what I like and I just knew that moment. So knowing that my boss was always going to show up for me where it like really counted, made me more, invest more into our relationship. And it has like, I believe the most important relationship I have in the professional environment is with the one that I supervise and who supervises me. So even in 2020, Aaron and I put together a ASPA presentation about like help of being supervised and it was Brene Brown because I'm all about her and like how we use that approach to inform our relationship. And there was a lot of times during the pandemic where like she would be in down out for the count either with her own emotional struggles or like she was ill and mine would show up when I was ill or completely overwhelmed as the pandemic did to a lot of us. And the amount of grace that we immediately gave to each other um we actually got into only one serious argument ever where we were both immature towards each other and it lasted all of 10 minutes because she walked into my office she goes i didn't handle that well and i go i didn't handle that well and she's like i'm so sorry and And i was like no (laughs) yes well we built more boundaries on top of that like hey whenever we're like really hot-headed maybe and so that's and so we committed to holding each other and we've had several really uncomfortable conversations, like in difficult conversations with each other. And like, they, I don't think we would have made it through without some of Brene Brown's work and us committing to each other for that.
0: Well, and I think that what you are explaining, which I think is super important for people, especially young professionals to realize this, is that, you know, when you really look at it, okay, there are going to be some things that you have to factor in to, Um, joining a team, coming to a campus, whether it be, you know, we all talk the salary, we all talk about, is this going to be a springboard type of job? Is this going to give me the experience that I need? Um, It's hard to kind of factor in the supervisor piece because you really don't know what someone's going to be like until they're doing it in action and doing it in practice. And you talked a bit about like, we don't ask the right questions. We, we say to people, well, we want to do a salary negotiation. What we really should be doing is a cost of living assessment. Okay. Is there something that we need to be asking about that, uh, and coaching young professionals to kind of wheedle through that idea of what's a person going to be like as a supervisor?
1: I would say it's, and we started doing this in grad school, and then I really applied it to this last job search is the specific questions you get to ask, like, mm-hmm. you know, at the end, you always get the time at the end to ask questions. I always I, I, I often recycled questions, but I would have a journal still have it somewhere. And I would write all the questions I would initially have. So that way, if the time came, and like, I'm exhausted, and I don't have them, I have it written down. Mm-hmm. But like, If I'm like, okay, this person's my supervisor. Even if it's in a large room, I will ask how they supervise. I'll try to tease out that, and that's why, like, I always put the parky taco thing out there to see how people respond to it. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I could tell in some interviews, like, some advisor was like, "Uh, I'm not really a silly person." I'm like, "That's you don't have to be," but I know for me, but then you kind of go, "Yes," yeah. But I also make it very clear. In the interview, if I have a one-on-one with a supervisor, I talk Mm -hmm. about Aaron, I talk about our presentation at NASPA, I talk about Jen, I talk about what my expectations are in a supervisor to know so they know how serious I am about you will make or break this job for me, Mm -hmm. what is it that you're offering, because it's Mm -hmm. also that flip side of like, I'm as the candidate and I'm interviewing you um, for this, and there was a particular interview that was over Zoom, and I noticed no one was paying attention to me and people had to hop off early and no one really was giving me solid answers to questions. Mm-hmm. And I just knew that it was not a place just based on like me putting energy and it felt like it being sucked out. Mm-hmm. So like, it's also easy to, to me, I've been able to read if I'm going to jive with a person or not via yeah. even a virtual energy mm-hmm. uh, interview with teams or an individual.
0: Right. Right. Well, and I, so let's talk about your, when you knew you were ready for something new. Okay. And that, what I kind of like to call that idea of like your newish professional kind of thing. It's like, you've done one, Mm -hmm. you've done one Mm -hmm. and now you're ready for two and you have to make that decision like do you want to try to go a step up are you looking for maybe a lateral move like how did you sort that out because i get that a lot as a mentor people saying i don't know what i'm ready for yet or i know i'm i'm ready for something but i'm not sure what it is i don't know if it's maybe a lateral move how do you how do you actually make that happen
1: yeah I think to know and to move, you have to know thyself. So during the panorama, I went to therapy the a lot panorama. just because every <laughs> got so many names for it, but I uh, went to therapy as most people should be in therapy, even if it's for routine maintenance. And a lot of those conversations came out, that like, I've been trying to give this place a chance and it's just not happening for me. Uh, I, I my I really value myself having a broad friend group and it felt limited at Notre Dame uh, or at South Bend. Like my friend group was my work people. Like, and I love, hear me say, I will fight anybody who ever tries to take them down. I'm out there for you, Devin and Casey. <laughs> but um, I just knew it wasn't offering what I wanted it. And, but I was also looking at my resume and looking at the the things I had to add when I finally sat down at a bar and like built my resume. I was like, wow, I've done a lot here. I feel like I have enough to say- Did you build say, your resume at a bar? Yeah, I do most of my most profound things at a bar.
0: <laughs> okay. It's great. It's what I do. You know what? If people can do it in a coffee shop, I don't see why you can't do it at a bar.
1: Yes, we should talk about the. I forget what his name is, but there's a peak time of productivity after beer too. That you hit (laughs) a peak of ultimate productivity before it just skyrockets down. We'll tell you about the science. (laughs) But so upon that, um, I I realized in 2021 in the summer I had been driving up to see my best friend in Chicago currently actually in Evanston and I was like I want to be here so it's now time to do a search it is time to go and see where the wind blows for me and so I just started applying for job I, I saw a lot on the interwebs and I was like I'm gonna apply for this I'm gonna apply for this and as soon as I felt comfortable telling my boss that I was searching, she was like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited for you. She goes, hear me say, I'm also very sad. But she was like, the biggest thing for me is you're gonna land in a spot that is gonna be right for you. Because she, her and I also had developmental conversations about how I was struggling and she would give me ideas of like how to re-engage with the community, if I can get more volunteering, how I can make more friends, and more other staff across the institution. And I had given some of that a try, but I think I ultimately, it was on me to realize I had quit on the city. Of being like i just I'm not gonna put any more roots here so I just decided to grow air roots and be and stay uh, planted but also looking for the next thing so I would walk in and be like, I've applied for these jobs during our one on one and she would look at the job and I loved her she'd be like, no, not for you or uh this is up this is below you you're above it now like I kept trying to apply for coordinator roles and she was like she I, she's like, I know you feel like you have a lot to learn and you do but you are ready to be an assistant director. Hell, you are almost ready to be like an associate director. Like you can do those hard things. And then at one time I tried to apply for a senior coordinator and she goes, I get it, but come on, like, come on. And I was like, why? And so she would go through specific skill sets that would be on the job application. But like, I never asked her approval to apply. I would always apply for them first and then come back to her with like, here's what I'm applying for. And she would always be willing to sit down and go through things with me to be like, no. And there were some jobs I was like, I'm I'm going to apply for this, but like, I'm really nervous about this. Can you help me? And you have this truth
0: teller. The the reality is that you had a previous supervisor who was not only supportive, but was also a truth teller. And and in some ways you're quite fortunate because I, I'm gonna be honest with you, there's some people who like, I, one of the worst kind of supervisors you can have is someone who blows smoke up your ass and tells you you're great and doesn't actually give you real feedback. Um, but then compound that by that person being completely fearful of the day that you're going to come to them and say I'm looking for a job and they like lose their minds and that is Mm -hmm. absolutely one of the worst things any supervisor could do I have had several supervisors in my very long life that have like been that person like oh my god I I can't is uh, uh what would happen if you leave I'm like you will replace me because there is not a human on this planet that is not irreplaceable, okay? You need to realize that. There there's going to be things you're going to miss about someone, personalities, certain things about their creativity or their skill set, but ultimately everybody is is replaceable. And if supervisors are walking around, like if a supervisor says to you My expectation is that as soon as you're applying for jobs, you let me know because I need to prepare. That is not the way to do it. It is a different conversation than if I say, Parker, one of my most important days is when you say to me, I'm ready for something new. Great. Let's talk about it and let me help you leverage your experience so that you find the right job next. That's a different conversation Mm -hmm. than I need you to let me know when you're looking because that, when you say that you're not worried about the person, you're not saying this out of empathy, care, or, or love of the person who's working for you. You're literally covering your own ass to try to figure out
1: what's going to happen next for you. Yeah. The, I think there's a way to test that out. And I think for Aaron, I think I have honestly, and i like been very fortunate, as you said, with like really great supervisors between Jen Aaron and now Joe, who's here, and even the exit. My boss's boss, Tracy, and then Brent, like fabulous. And I don't know how I keep getting so lucky. Maybe I have good taste in people. You're welcome. Yeah,
0: you might, but
1: <laughs> I would say that uh, early accepted. on. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're the best of it, right? <laughs> um, I would say for Aaron, I remember about a year and a half, and I was talking about how like I wasn't super enjoying it, and the like. Obviously, the pandemic had a big role to play in that. Um. And Erin was like, I know, it was like, I get it. Here's what we figure out. Here's how we can figure out goals. And then she was like, I will never ask you like when you're job searching, if you're job searching. I honestly assume that I, she, she, her personal philosophy was like, if you're in a really good job, you should always be job searching. You should always get those things that come in just to be looking at like what else is out there instead of doing it in a rush where you really hate your team and you're trying to flee and you make a poor choice. She believes when you're in a good spot, you peruse at your leisure and follow things to the extent that you want to, rather than like getting cornered to a spot. You're like, I have to fight to get out of here. So I'll take whatever gets me out of mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. And, but she was like, I'll let you come to me whenever that happens. And she's like, I don't want you to rush out of here. I want you to leave on your terms. And when it's really good. But she also had said, Um, that our director who kind of like helped with the hiring only expects people in in uh, in coordinator roles to be there for two to three years and then move on to another role so in fact there would be more concern if I was staying for year four five and six because it's like are we not developing you enough like you are you just leaning on us so how are we gonna move you up so there was an honest movement of growth and I can if I'm a good judge of people that is what this team is also about Mm -hmm. because we had you know, several people have been here for seven, ten years. Some of us are just a couple months in, and some people have been talking about leaving or like maybe one day. And they're like, "Oh, we're all here to celebrate people's victories." And Joe and I have joked about it before. He's like, "Yeah, when you start a job search, I'll just like give you a raise." Just kidding, but let me know, <laughs> right? Like if you want to, like I'm happy to be a, a support. Like I, like you know the the. teasing out how your supervisor may respond early on as a joke i joke that i'm quitting all the time i don't really recommend that until you have the rapport but i did that to my old boss she has files of me quitting all the time joe's like are you quitting again today it's so funny but find ways to tease out with your supervisor if you if you can jokingly of like how would they receive it and then if you can't, my advice is something that you taught me in grad school, which I don't know how you would make this a curriculum, but the biggest thing I remember from grad school, from your class specifically, was nurturing your network. Mm-hmm. So I knew that if I couldn't, if I knew I can't go to Erin because she'll out me and then it'll be this whole big process and it'll be you're super toxic. I have a strong network, you, DeVoe, I could easily go to. I was calling Jen at, like, for presentations at like two in the morning my time, asking mm-hmm. her to help me walk through this stuff. Um, I built mentors through NASA. And Ashley explain Roberts who Jen was. was.
0: Explain who Jen
1: was. Jen, Jen Liu um, was my supervisor uh, at Boston University um and so she was a really great mentor helped me figure out my job. She in fact moved me out from Boston to Chicago and stayed with me for about a week when we moved. So like commitment, right? Um a year ago she bought my Uber home because I was a little out of it and she was like let's get it. you yep. safe. Yep, I was a little tired, you know. <laughs> so like commitment to that. Um but also the relationship is reciprocal because like though like we're really good friends now, I still mm-hmm. view her and you as deep mentors and as Ashley Roberts who I met through a NASPA committee and I would turn to her. So it's also about, if you know, you don't have trust in house, who's in your circle outside the house that you can, you can let the house of DuBois, for example, like this nurturing the network is so important to me. And then the last point I'll leave off on that though, is that we don't really talk about networking that well. We talk about like how many business cards can you get? How many coffees can you get? How many, But, like, I was just talking to the grad student that I advise here, and she's going to the joint conference in November for Region uh, 4 East and West. And I was like, I want you to have two people. That's it. That you have a deep connection with, that you get their phone number even, or you sit down and grab lunch with. Like, just one. I would be happy with one. I don't care if you meet 30 people. It is literally about, like, my life changed when I met Ashley. I met, like, seven other people in that NASPA committee. But Ashley's the one I took away from NASPA 2020, and that's all I needed. She is someone I joke with. She's someone I laugh with. She's someone I call when I'm in a pinch with professional development. Or even I recommend her to other people that also need help so I can connect them. And that's what I think is important is, like, how you nurture that network.
0: And, and to your point, and I appreciate the shout out because I cannot tell you how important that statement is. So even last uh, spring for my, my students, I had last spring, I said to uh, some of the students in one of my, one of my courses, uh, I assigned them to interview three professionals in three functional areas. Okay. Over the course of the semester. And they and I said, and then when you do that, you need to connect with them on LinkedIn. You need to do all these things of the students who did that. I had five students get job interviews and job offers from that class experience. And these are all people who were ready for the job, right? There were some people who weren't ready to interview yet because they weren't done with school, but it, it actually matters and it pans out and you having these things. And I think If there's a theme of this episode that you've created, whether you realize it or not, is this about authenticity? You talked earlier about when you were interviewing and using Parky Taco, making sure people understand who you are, your personality, how you use that to actually tease things out. I will say that um, for the future of the field, for the future of higher ed, right now, you know, when I was interviewing, this was back in the early to mid 90s. It's a very different time where you were expected to wear certain clothes during an interview you were expected to do certain things. I got pushback for something as silly as. OK, and I think about it now and I'm like, I can't believe we thought this was that important at the time. Scarves women were like, you know, those like kind of silk scarves, like they were kind of an accessory at the time. It was kind of hip and like, you know, the thing. OK. And if you go back and you watch shows from the mid 90s, you'll see women with scarves, right? And I had scarves with cartoons on them. Like, so whether it be Mickey Mouse or Looney Tunes or something like that. And I wore those scarves. People, that's not very professional. And I'm like, well, people will remember me. Like, that was my whole point. I was like, this, they need to see something about me. And this particular scarf, they were nice fucking scarves. Pardon my French. It's like, these were (laughs) actually, these were not cheap scarves. They were like, (laughs) these were not, these were not junk scarves. These were real. (laughs) These were not synthetic. (laughs) These were nice scarves. And, you know, there was nothing about them that was that kind of cheap and ick. They were nice. Okay. But they just happened to have a Bugs Bunny on it or something. And Mm -hmm. people go, that's not very Pers- that's not very professional and i'm like well you know what i'm not somebody who's kind of a stick in the mud not fun to have around so why not show it in something i'm wearing
1: correct and yes.
0: so but we right now don't get into that as as much i think i think while yes you still want to dress what is perceived as neat and professional and that sort of thing having to wear a three piece suit like I can't remember the last time I saw somebody in like an actual suit show up for an interview. Um a lot of time it's a jacket and a tie and all of that, but you know, d- did you wear a suit?
1: Yeah, multiple times even for there Zoom interviews.
0: All right. So there you go. So but do you feel like that kind of presentation that if that feeling of having to like be a certain way, did you get a lot of um feedback on what to wear?
1: No, uh, because I re- <laughs> weirdly I refuse to like let other people make that judgment for me because I very much was like I would wear at TPE in person. I wore a Navy suit with a pink dresser and like a cream floral tie and like not the most professional look because the first day I showed up in the Navy suit white dress shirt with a maroon tie so it looked like classic I felt like I was going to like Catholic school yeah. showing up for an interview but then I felt more me and more silly mm-hmm. with it because like you need to like the school should know what they're buying and like right. I'm I can put on the suit and put in effort and show that I'm here for this it's role Not professional but I'm also cosplay. silly that's
0: my point it's like you can't oh my be, gosh
1: you,
0: yes it's not professional cosplay you can't show up in something that you don't feel authentic about you know and like here's the thing is that when we're coaching our young professionals or graduate students in terms of what they should experience I, ultimately if you can't show up in an interview and people can't accept you for what you're wearing whether it be the shoes you're wearing the shirt you're wearing how you're wearing it whatever that that's a reality and then we also have to make sure we understand the fact that some people depending on you know cost and what we're happening here i mean i actually was very happy when colleges and universities started doing more of these zoom interviews because People can't afford to fly to all points, you know, for interviews up, down, inside out, be everywhere, uh, lay money out of their pockets to go to interviews because and that's the other thing. A lot of people just absolutely their eyeballs roll into the back of their head and they go, wait a second. They don't pay for you to fly to these different places. I said for interviews, sometimes they do, but not always like there's still schools that have these cockamamie requirements that okay well if we offer you the job you have to take it or you pay us back for your travel expenses what like i'm sorry if that's part of your deal you need to figure your shit out and stop that because that is not fair to the people interviewing for jobs period period uh, and by the by that should tell you something about the culture of the institution that you're
1: work you're looking to work at. Yep. There's interviewing red flags and that very, like that may be that campus is specific barrier that they run into. And like, it's what they have to do, but I would automatically take that as a red flag and tell people not to interview for that. If they can't, like, I No. no, no, thanks.
0: So this is office hours with Dr. Devoe. We're here uh, regularly on the Fireside Network, um, and you know, one of the things that we're planning on for the next month is uh, I'm one of the faculty at the Commit to Excellence conference here in Boston. It's a great uh, boutique leadership conference here in Boston, and me and several other wonderful folks are on the faculty, and we will be live at the conference uh, with. Uh, basically speed leadership uh, opportunities. So we will have a booth uh, and we will be broadcasting live and participants will be able to come on into the booth and get some uh, five-minute leadership coach. uh, And uh, so it'll be a lot of fun. And I'm looking forward to that. That's coming up in the first uh, few days of November. Uh, Following that, we have some really great guests. And so follow me here and find out more. But we have a show on the uh the new south in terms of uh enrollments and uh There was a great story uh, recently on how the elites of the Northeast are sending their children to schools in the South. And what does that mean? So we'll have the author of that piece uh, on the show. And then we are also going to be exploring the unionization of resident assistants um, and uh, a show on that coming up. So please follow us here and find out more. Uh, And so. Here's the thing, Parker, you're going to get the final word um, because we're coming up on, <laughs> we're coming up at the end of the show. And when you were asked to do this, I know you had lots of questions, about what am I going to talk about? What are we going to cover? And I knew we were going to run out of time, but I want to know from you, if there's something that you want people to know, what is it? What is the one thing you wanted to make sure uh, people uh, knew uh at by the end of the show what is the thing you wanted to share
1: i think it's reiterating your words of wisdom to me which i absolutely buy which is nurture your network in your way find the people that you know you get along with and like i just it's quality over quantity and like i wouldn't say networking has gotten me a job i actually had a network at a job I was applying for and didn't get it. And I applied here and didn't have a network and I got this job. Mm -hmm. It's not about like finding the next step. It's about those who keep you robust and those that will cheer you on and can be resources outside of it. But you don't need a hundred people to be outside of there. You need like your circle of 20 or Mm thirty, whatever that, mine's like 50 because I invest in a lot of people. Nurture your motherfucking network so (laughs) kindly.
0: And it's so important. Well. Parker, it was pleasure to have you. So You're happy to be here. Always invited back. You're always invited back to yeah. uh, right here, and make sure that if you are a member of the House of Devoe, you are always welcome as well. So, thank you for being here, and thank you all for listening. Thank you for being part of the Fireside family. Thank you for being here with Office Hours with Dr. Devoe. It is your next evolution of professional development in higher education, and uh, so. See you next week. Have a great one everybody and get out there and learn something. Bye. <laughs> Bye.